Welcome to the podcast and the church said. This podcast discusses faith, church, and culture from a Christian counseling perspective. I am Dr. Monique Smith Gadsden, and I am your host for this podcast. Consider me your church counselor and consultant who is discipling the body and the members in mental, emotional, relational, and spiritual health. I am trained in both psychology and theology, equipped and equipping for the work of the ministry. Although I am a licensed clinician, this podcast is not intended to serve as therapy. We strongly encourage you to seek out your own personal relationship with a professional therapist. This applies also to our special guests who have opinions and professional insights and expertise of their own. Their contribution is also not to be regarded as therapy. Our aim here is to hold conversation around these important topics regarding the church and mental health. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Thank you all so much for your support and your subscribing to the podcast. I'm so grateful to everyone who continues to support us and to share our work. So I will just ask if you will please continue to do so, if you would give us five-star ratings, if you will write reviews for us, and if you would share the podcast with those that you do believe the content will be highly beneficial for, please, please, please continue to do so. This is a labor of love and an act of obedience. So it is just so helpful to us as podcasters when you help us to be found in the vast sea of so many podcasts. Okay, so thank you so much for your assistance. And also thank you so much for your support. I am so, so very humbled by you all continuing to listen to the podcast and um, to share it and support it. So y'all today, I can't believe it, but we are here at the week of Thanksgiving 2021. Like, oh my goodness, I, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around. This is where we are on the calendar. Okay. And my goodness, how much things have changed from last Thanksgiving until this Thanksgiving 2021, but how much some things are still the same. So there's still a lot of turmoil and a lot of grief and a lot of loss and the pandemic is still ongoing. But however, by the grace of God, here we are, here we are. And since we are here officially in the holiday season, now is the time where the talks about um, visiting with family and gathering together with family starts. And along with that, there is also discussion around why some are unable to gather with their family or they choose to not do so. So today I am going to discuss the topic of who's coming home. And I am going to talk about my focus in this particular episode of Who's Coming Home is going to be on discussing roles in families. So all of us have a role in the context of family. And I know that there are some who did not grow up with parents or their lived experiences may be a tad different than the context of this topic today. 
So I understand that there are areas of gray and there are nuances that can be considered for certain. So my disclaimer is not that I am trying to suggest that all things can be housed in this same box, but this is just a corner of um, family functioning, healthy family functioning that I am going to discuss on today, okay? So when we're talking about roles, most family educators and therapists and family researchers would agree that one characteristic of a healthy functioning family is clear roles. So when we're talking about roles, it is defined by Samuel Gladding as a prescribed and repetitive behavior involving a set of reciprocal activities with other family members. Behaviors that family members expect from each other and themselves. So I'm gonna say that one more time. Roles are described as, or defined rather as prescribed and repetitive behaviors involving a set of reciprocal activities with other family members. Behaviors family members expect from each other and themselves. So in healthy families, roles are clear, they are appropriate, they are suitably allocated, they are mutually agreed on, they are integrated, and they are enacted. Now, these roles are specific to each unique family and should be determined by age and culture and tradition. So healthy families usually understand that these roles are not fixed, but they are interchangeable and flexible. So for example, a baby of the family, right? One of the youngest ones in the family, his or her role may be to help clean up by picking up the toys in the house or maybe um, the pine cones out in the yard. Whereas older children may be assigned um, to do things such as mopping and, and, and vacuuming and washing and putting away dishes, carrying out the trash, those types of tasks. The baby, especially when we're talking about like the holiday season, you know, we have tables set up in families. So the, the baby or the younger children may sit at um, at that little children's table. And it's not out of exclusion, but it's just usually because that is a space that is created that is more appropriate for the younger members of the family. So, you know, you may use the plasticware there and the um, you don't have the, the pretty china dishes, the serving pieces on the children's table. Um, the children's table may have things like coloring books or little games, something to kind of keep them occupied, you know, during the time where the family is, is being served or is eating dinner and just sitting around and, and enjoying fellowship with one another, okay? So that's the role for the younger ones. Now, adults recognize that as children age, they can and should assume different roles. So this sends the message that we are to grow and to develop, and we do have the capacity to do other things, things that require more discipline or more responsibility. So that baby or those younger ones in that family, as they grow older, may be able to handle um, 
things that may break. They may tell them, hold this with two hands and walk this over here. Or they may be allowed to sit at the table where there are more fragile pieces because they have grown and they are matured. So although they're still the younger members of the family or the baby of the family, they're not being treated as though they are a baby. Now, where it starts to get a bit tricky is when these roles remain fixed. So other family members expect that person who held the role of the quote-unquote baby in the family, or say, for example, the responsible one in the family, to still be that same person. And then that means they must behave in that same manner. So today, I am going to give a list of common roles that are found in family systems. And I am going to define these roles and talk a little bit about how these roles develop in families. And before I do this, I want to make a note here. I want to make sure that we understand that all families have some level of healthy and unhealthy interactions throughout the course of family development and family life. Um, because somewhere along the way, in all of these various stages and phases of family development, there's going to be some unhealthy interactions, okay? We're not talking perfect families. We're talking healthy families. And healthier families usually possess effective communication patterns and the ability to deal with more difficult times in positive ways. Um, and that does not mean that they're always positive, but it means they can deal in more positive ways, okay? Um, there is also this commitment to the family as a whole unit and to each individual member within the family. And because of this, during those times of those unhealthy interactions, the family is usually better able to navigate its way through more effectively. So these roles are usually developed when, when those times are difficult, when anxieties are high, or when conflict or ineffective communication is present. Now, this is when it becomes problematic, is when families do not have those resources to deal with those times of conflicts and anxieties in healthy ways. And so then these roles, become ways for the family to survive and to diffuse the tension. They become fixated. And then when children grow older and find themselves interfacing with other systems outside of the family, they may or may not even recognize this tendency to replicate these roles. Or especially when families gather together again, like for example, during the holidays and people come home, they may fall back into these roles or family members may expect them to fulfill these roles and thereby behave in certain ways. So it's not just because of these roles that some people have a hard time gathering with their families, but sometimes there is this sense of expectation that some members may have outgrown those and do not want to be in that role anymore. And they may not be able to voice that to the other family members, or when they do, it may not be accepted and received. So again, this is just one aspect that I'm discussing today. 
the topic of roles and how if we have outgrown these roles or if we have become healthier, I mean, become aware, I'm sorry, of healthier options, it can be hard sometimes to go home. And when I say go home, that means just gathering with your family, okay? Um, it can be hard to go home and to know that there is this expectation to behave in one of these roles that you no longer operate in. So that is what we are getting ready to discuss on um, today, these different roles. Now, is five common roles that is that are known in family systems work that I am going to describe to you today. I'm going to talk a little bit about how these roles develop as it is told by Marissa Pomerantz. Okay, so she has done some research on this um, particular topic, and I'm going to expound by using some of her work as well. So I'm giving you five common roles that are present in most family systems. And um, the first one is the hero role. Now, the hero is sometimes known as the golden child. They are the responsible ones and dependable. They are disciplined and ambitious and perfectionistic and successful. These are the ones that we can call sometimes the quote unquote good kid. Now, this family often prides themselves on the high achievements of the hero. The hero of the family carries a lot of responsibility, and sometimes they can be workaholics because they feel like they always have to be the leader, um, and they feel as though they don't get the opportunity to be vulnerable because they feel like they always have to be, quote unquote, strong. Now, this role usually develops in families when the dysfunction in the family system is present the hero usually becomes um, heroic so that they can cope with that dysfunction. They try to be helpful and competent to the point of acting like one of the parents. They also take on this role as a distraction because if they are succeeding like in sports or school or um, say extracurricular activities or community um, involvement, the family dysfunction is then overshadowed and it is hidden because they are so accomplished. So this is a way that the family can look perfect and they can kind of say, hey, look at the, this child, you know, Look at all of the success that this child has um, accomplished. And that can be a way that it can deflect away from the tension that the family is experiencing. So the second role is the mascot, or also known as the clown, okay? And this is the funny kid, you know, the kid that's cute and charming and outgoing. This is the kid that tends to be like the um, center of attention at family gatherings. But they, they, they have learned how to use humor um, as a way to offset any tension or negativity in the family. So they try to lighten the mood to get the family to believe that everything is fine. When in actuality, um, this distracts away from the family if they have those resources to be able to deal with the problems that are there and present within the family system. So with mascots 
or the clown, this is a way, again, that they deal with and cope with tension in families. Really and truly, there is this profound sense of powerlessness that is going on. And when the child feels powerless, they then try to figure how to exert some sort of control. And they usually do this with humor. And sometimes this clown mascot role uses the humor because it's easier for them to deal with the humor than to deal with their own pain. So the third role is known as the black sheep or the scapegoat. And I usually prefer to use the term scapegoat. But this particular role is usually cast by the family as the troublemaker. This is the one that is known as the quote unquote problem child. They don't like to follow the rules. So the family gets to blame the disobedience of the scapegoat on, um, they get to say their problems are a result of the disobedience of this particular problem child. The family sees the scapegoat as angry and antagonistic and cynical and rebellious. The, the um, scapegoat is usually the one that is seen by the family as needing the improvement and they want to help, but they don't know how because they feel like this, um, and this may be when they refer to them as the black sheep, has this self-destructive behavior. Now, the, the, the role of the, um, the black sheep becomes the child who actually externalizes the family problems. They speak about it or they act out because of the family's problems. And they really usually are trying to find a way to deal honestly with the problems in the family but the family usually doesn't want to hear these things. So therefore their behavior, the behavior of the scapegoat can also sometimes be this cry for help and they could purposefully mess up things to bring attention to the family's dysfunction. But the family says it's because of that behavior that they are having the problems that they are having. The fourth role is the rescuer. This one is also known as the caretaker, or if addiction is present in families, this particular person takes the role of the enabler. Now, this rescuer feels this personal responsibility to keep the family together. This person will put the needs of everybody else before their own, which means more times than not, they don't even know their own needs. So they try to solve everyone's problems, whether or not the family wants that help. But this role gives them a sense of purpose and it gives them a sense of self and they see themselves as the problem solver. And so the rescuer may have the best of intentions, intentions. This role is associated with codependency because helping others is actually addressing a need of their own. 
And that's usually to relieve their anxiety by relieving the family tension so that they feel needed and purposeful. So this role, the rescuer, is usually um, developed because they just really want to help. They want to help relieve the familial tension and the conflict. And it also can develop from the feelings of anxiety or fear that arises from the family dysfunction. So instead of sitting with these uncomfortable feelings, the child will then become the rescuer and will try to fix the problems to make themselves feel better. And lastly, there is the lost child. So with this lost child, this lost child is usually the invisible one. They're really quiet, they're submissive, they're compliant, and they spend a whole lot of time alone. They stay away from the family drama so they can seem like the quote unquote good or the easy kid. They seem even tempered, but they're often usually very shy and they're very hesitant and they are adverse to risk and they lack important social skills. The lost child also has this tendency to withdraw from reality because they always have just shoved their own feelings away and it makes it hard for them to form intimate relationships. Now, this role usually develops when the child is trying to escape family drama and they remove themselves entirely from the equation. So they take on the attitude like, I don't want to make things worse. So I just tuck myself away in a corner and I just become invisible. They allow themselves to get lost in books and TV and they use fantasy as a way to cope, as a way to disappear. This child, this lost child role, um, stop making any demands of their parents and they don't even express their own needs because they feel as though they're going to add to the stress of the family or the parents. So those are five common roles that are typically found in family systems. And this is one of the many roles that we can play and some of us may identify ourselves in um, one or more of these roles from time to time, or maybe you feel like you're all of them. And that's understandable because again, families are dynamic. We're ever changing. You know, there's so much that is going on. So if families stay um, in this state of just, we're, we're all just dynamic. It's not static whatsoever. So you may find yourself shifting in these roles from time to time. But the point of it is, is that as we define these roles, they develop for a purpose. 
And it's usually, again, to alleviate some sort of tension, to try to um, diffuse some conflict or to reduce anxiety that might be present in the family system. And here's the deal. It may be that, again, it's just one of these normal places where there are going to be stressors that affect the family, like during periods of transitions. But the person decides that this is their role. This is what they need to do for their family to be um, safe and taken care of. And as we have already defined, it sometimes serves an uh, individual need as well. So who's coming home may not be the same person that left home. Because sometimes people have already changed themselves in these roles. When they have, have seen themselves and, and wonder why these patterns keep repeating over and over again, and maybe they decide to finally go into therapy and they're asking like, why do I find myself in these positions? Why uh, um, am I always this person? Why do people always blame me for this or that? They may learn that this was a pattern that was formed in their early years and that they are still replicating this pattern. And so now they have learned healthier ways to come out of that role, to differentiate, which just means that they are able to um, develop the sense of individual more away from their family. Now, hear me say, this does not mean we cut away from our families unless because of abuse or health um, or trauma, sometimes that has happened. But when we are differentiating, this is an intentional process of what we are supposed to do. We are supposed to learn to function as an individual, not to be individualistic, but to form as an individual while we maintain the ability to still relate to others. So that means we don't get so enmeshed with others that we don't know who we are apart from others, like our families. And neither does it mean we're so distant that people would even know that we were a part of a family because we have just disengaged to that point. But differentiation involves us just determining who we are, even understanding why we have assumed these roles, why it is that we have um, been that person and recognizing that this is no longer needed or this is no longer who we want to be. So we begin that process of differentiating. And we do have to understand that when we differentiate the more, when we go back to relate to people, who still expect us to um, behave in these certain roles, then there may be some sense of um, rebellion or there may be this sense of anger or there may be this sense of sadness or there are ways that families will, will act to try to pull you back into that old role because they need the balance to be reestablished. Like, no, you can't change. We were always this way, but... We have to just know that we have to be very intentional in individuating, differentiating, if you will. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. 
And just by the very nature of the definition of like family, when one member changes, everybody changes. Doesn't necessarily mean that they may make positive changes or healthier changes, but by definition, the family has to change. So we can change our roles. We don't have to be the same person um, that we have always been. When we have left home, and when I say leave, as I've said beforehand, it can, we can still be in physical proximity. We can even still be, live in the same home with our families, and we can still differentiate and determine that there is a healthier way to function. And we do not have to assume these roles anymore. So when we are thinking about this holiday season and when we are talking about um, going home, if you will, or again, just gathering with family, even if we already live there with, with family members, um, when we are continuing to interact and engage with families, um, we can do it in different ways. We can do it from these places where we have learned to differentiate. And that is totally okay. The last thing I'll leave us with is um, I'm going to give us some thoughts on um, a theological perspective on family life. And this is just some information that is given to us from Jack and Judith Balswick. And I just want to give us this to kind of ponder on. Now, I don't have the time to elaborate on all of these particular um, components that they offer us as a way to engage with family members in more healthy ways. And maybe I'll come back and do a podcast on these. But right now, I'm just going to give this as an overview. And I want us to really think about this because they developed this theological approach to family life based on um, our relationship with God the Father. Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, their interaction with one another, God's interaction with his people, the children of Israel, and how he parents us, and how he parented them throughout time. So I love this, and I'm just going to offer this up to us to think about this as we are talking about gathering with families over the holidays. And again, I offer my disclaimer here. If it is abusive, it is, if it's highly toxic and traumatic for you to go home again or gather with family, then that's totally understandable. So I'm not by any means suggesting that we put ourselves in harm's way. I'm just talking about those times when it does get to be a little bit more tense. You know, it is um, unhealthy, but it's not unhealthy in a, in a threatening sense of our physical well-being. That's more so what I'm referring to at this time. But I want to just offer us this and then I'll close us out. When we're talking about how it is that we can move from hurting behaviors to being in healing relationships, the first thing that the Boswicks offer us up is to engage in a covenantal relationship with one another where we love and we are loved 
okay? Again, I'm not gonna describe all of these, but I'm just gonna give us this to kind of think about and for us to kind of consider what would this look like if our family life included these things? So the first one was that covenant to love and to be loved, where there's this sense of grace, where we forgive and where we are forgiven, where we are empowered. We are empowered to serve and to be served. And lastly, there is a true sense of intimacy where we know others and where others know us. So how is it that we might engage in these more healing behaviors? Perfect love casts out all fear, right? So how is it that over these holiday seasons, or this holiday season, that we can think about ways in our families to move from more hurting behaviors to more healing behaviors, okay? So let's think on that thought. And as I always say, until next time, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. After you have heard my call, who's coming home? And that person doesn't have to be the same as the one who's left. What will be your response? And the church said.